0: Good evening everyone and welcome. Tonight's class is titled If Everything is Godly How Does Evil Exist? Tonight we'll conclude this topic. We'll conclude chapter 22 of Tanya. (coughs) Classical story yet one that we could always always share. A man comes to the study of Shammai. Hillel and Shammai were two contemporaries that lived during the times of the Mishnah, the era of the Mishnah, over two thousand years ago. And a man walks in, and he's standing on, help me out here. He's standing on one foot, one foot. <laughs> and he's hopping. He's he's hopping around, and he says, Rabbi Shammai, can you teach me the whole Torah? Standing on one foot, what would you do, Phil? Ephraim? Not a, remind me again. I, I, uh, Tzvi. three. What would you do, Tzvi, if you were a shama and someone's pop, hopping around your s- serious hall of study? He's hopping around? L- literally, standing on one foot. He's making a show. You're in the middle of a class. You're talking, about, you're talking about the deepest concept of godliness and some guy comes hopping in, in and says, Hey, Rabbi, tell me the Torah on one foot. What would you do?
1: <laughs> I'd say I'd love to when you're ready to take it seriously.
0: Precisely, look the guy in the eye and say, (laughs) you know, straighten out a little bit and come back. Shammah was a little stricter, he took, he took his stick and he chased the guy out of the house. He goes to Hillel, and he, the same story. And Hillel looks him in the eye and he says, You want to know the whole Torah on one foot? Summary: of The whole Torah is "Ma de Sani." What you hate, lachavrach lo save. Don't do to your friend. Just to quickly explain, we'll learn later in Tanya why is it that Shammai chased the man out and Hillel whipped at the answer. Everyone has a different different temperament, and everyone also has a different spiritual source. Hillel's soul was sourced in Chesed, in kindness. So he was able to see the beauty within the man. But also, he was always teaching everyone the attribute of kindness. Shammai came from the attribute of givura, strictness, severity. And that was his message. And when a man came in, that was the message he displayed. Hill and Shammai are both amazing people. We learn from them. But in this scenario, the story played out. Sh- Hilla was one to answer. The famous, famous words again: you hate, the to your friend." Anyone know a similar story, or le- in other words, any anyone know a similar quote <coughs> that we have?
2: I've always read yeah. it as love thy neighbor as thyself. I will rest as commentary. Well,
3: do not do to others that you don't want done to you.
1: is do unto others.
0: Rabbi Akiva said a similar statement. Rabbi Akiva also said, V'ahavta l'reyacha kamocha Love your fellow as your friend. V'ahavta l'reyacha kamocha Love your fellow as yourself. Zehu klal gadol b'Torah This is THE rule of the Torah. This is THE rule. Okay. So we've gotten now a summary of the whole Torah is what you hate, don't do to your friend. And it's a task for us to break it up and see how does that really summarize the whole Torah? Is that, like, how, do, how where does the laws of keeping kosher and only eating slaughtered animals, how does that connect to loving your fellow as your friend? Then how does the law that you're now allowed to wear wool and linen, how does that connect with loving your fellow as your friend? How does the law that you need to give, how does the law that on Shabbos you're not allowed to separate good from bad, how does that connect with love your fellow as your friend, as yourself? Okay. This is something, this is a commentary that we need, to, we, need to, we need to inspect. But the bottom line is, love your fellow as your friend, Love what you hate don't do to your friend, that's a summary of the whole Torah. Agreed.
3: Mm. Wow. Mm.
0: (coughs) I agree. It's hard. You're right. Yes, David.
2: With respect, Riddy, it's also important to note that that passage is in the middle of Leviticus, in the middle of the five books of Moses.
0: Interesting observation, yeah. It's in the middle. The whole Torah can similarly, in different methods, be contained within the first two commandments. And we discussed this earlier in chapter, I want to say chapter 20. Yeah, in chapter 20, chapter 20 began telling us that the first two of the Ten Commandments have within them the whole Torah. The command to believe in God and the command to not believe in any other gods, that is a summary also, is inclusive of the whole Torah. And similarly, how do you say to not believe in any other gods, what is the connection with not believing in any other gods and not eating non-kosher? Like, what's the connection? What is the connection with not believing in any other gods and on Shabbos not carrying? What is the connection between not believing in any other gods and not eating the hind quarter of a cow? Like, how how do they all come together? And that's what we're going to learn something extremely powerful tonight. Tonight we're going to learn that klipa, sitra achara, the other side, the outer shell, they are called other gods. They are idol worship. Connecting with anything outside of the Torah is, in a sense, idol worship. And therefore, when the Torah says, don't have any other gods, Essentially we're saying don't do anything that's not following through with what God wants. Because if you're not if you do anything against the will of God essentially you're connecting with other gods. When you do the will of Hashem then you're showing clearly Anochi Hashem Olokech, I am Hashem your God. And when you do something that is against the will of Hashem then you're saying there's other gods. The whole Torah is summarized within the first two commands. Does that make sense? Yeah. Let's see it inside and then we'll gladly take questions. We're currently on page 88. Apologize. We're on page 92. Right-hand column, bottom paragraph. Again, page 92. Right-hand column. Bottom paragraph. Therefore, because inside of Kalipa godliness is completely concealed because Hashem has completely concealed himself inside of Kalipa, therefore, also it is termed other gods elokim hacheiren since it constitutes actual idolatry and denial of the unity of the supreme king of kings the holy one blessed is he the moment someone does something against the will of Hashem they are denying God they are saying that Hashem doesn't truly exist because if Hashem is the only existence then what Hashem says, I'm going to do. For in as much as a light and life of holiness are as it were in a state of exile within it because Hashem is completely, God is completely concealed (coughs) inside of Klippa it does not surrender itself in any degree to the holiness of the Holy One. Blessed is He. Hashem, we're now on page 94. We've turned the page. Left, top of the left hand column. <clears throat> Hashem is completely concealed inside of Khalipa. Just to review, you'll remember we discussed last week how we, we gave an example of ourselves. We go to work. Why do we go to work? To make money. So the ultimate reason we're going to work is to make money. We try and fa- hopefully find a job that we enjoy. But there are details in a job that we're going to hate. I was learning with a student uh, yesterday. I was learning this idea with him. <coughs> <coughs> and he's a teacher. And he tells me like this, he says, he, he said in his life the analogy would be, he's a teacher because he wants to make money. He lo- he's passionate about teaching, so he enjoys the job. But he hates doing paperwork.
2: In the wrong job.
0: Which unfortunately yes. is a major part of it. <laughs> so he says for him, You know, we discussed how sometimes he used to do something, but you're like throwing it to the dogs. For him, he's throwing to the dogs. He's going to do the paperwork, but that's not where he is. Hashem has created a world. A world where the Jewish people should fulfill Torah and mitzvot. In order to fulfill Torah and mitzvot, there has to be a world. And in order for there to be a world where Jews could do Torah and mitzvot and have free will, we need, help me out. (laughs)
3: Paperwork.
0: We need paper. We need...
3: <laughs>
0: we need klipa. We need the stuff we don't like. Okay. In order for Hashem to have the Jewish people do Torah and mitzvot in a world, we need, yes, we need the paperwork. We need the stuff that we don't like, which is... The
3: mundane
0: stuff. M- well, the mundane is not a problem. The impure stuff.
3: Well, So we have a choice. We always have a choice between good and bad. So if there was no bad,
0: there'd be no choice. <laughs> I don't want to call all mundane items impure. That wouldn't be fair. Okay. That's why I'm, I don't. I'd rather not use the word mundane. Okay. I'd rather be clear that we're saying Hashem had to create impurity, Hashem had to create evil, Hashem had to create negativity. Does Hashem want them to be here? No. Is Hashem forced to have? Evil here? Yes. And for his plan to work, there has to be free choice. For there to be free choice, we need impurity. But within the impurity, Hashem is completely concealed. He's completely hidden. And so the impurity looks you in the eye and says, I am God. Because Hashem has completely concealed himself within it. You won't find godliness there. That means there are items in this world that are completely impure and Hashem is within them. Nothing can be within without Hashem. But they appear completely separate from Hashem. They
3: appear to be,
0: but Hashem is still... Hashem has to be... You can't be alive without the energy of Hashem. But the energy of Hashem is completely trapped in them. We're going to give the following analogy. We're going to give the analogy of someone who takes the king's... Let's leave the analogy for now. Let's, let's, let's continue inside.
2: Well, Hashem Tov used to say that any hiding of God's countenance that we recognize as such is no longer concealment concealment of god's countenance ceases to be meaningful at the moment that we know that god is hiding from us and it's not gone away
0: second we recognize hashem is concealing himself it's not true concealment yes sir, dr yosef
4: um, so uh i understand the uh <clears throat> answer but if could there be degrees of say evil 100% or, or purity so i mean i mean you know there th- does there have to be such awful evil or could there be just you know moderate amount of evil or a mild evil you know what but in this world there's some really truly terrible things so so granted there has to be some evil but does there has to be this much <laughs> Apparently, right. <laughs> uh, I
3: mean, that's just like the, the, the problems that the Jews have encountered over since throughout the diaspora. You know, okay, we did not believe, right. Yes, we were dispersed, but do our lives have to go through such pain and suffering?
0: So. I'm hearing two separate questions. Question one is we, You understand the need for free choice and evil, but do we need to have it to such a degree? This doctor, I, but I hear Sandra asking, Why do we need to suffer so much?
3: Why do we need
0: it at such a degree? Right, mm-hmm. right. The question, Why we need it at such a degree? I'm going to let Hashem answer. That, that question, uh, Hashem has to answer. The question why there has to be unfortunately in our world such as or not why there has to be, why there is. If I offer you a million dollars or one hundred thousand dollars which one are you going to take? You're going to take the million dollars. It has to be, for something to be called free choice it has to really be equal. So if you want there to be the option of pure holiness in its exalted form, so so free choice is going to mean that the same exact opposite is going to exist. What we're learning here is that relative to the good that's able to be within the world, the opposite is also going to exist. That's true free choice having two full extremes. Does that answer the question? And and we talk a lot about this in in Kabbalah how we we talk a lot about this idea of free choice and how there has to be true true options. I'll give you an example just about free choice. We learn that Hashem uvanu we say Hashem chose us. How could you say Hashem chose us? How could you say Hashem chose the Jew over a non-Jew if we have a godly soul and they don't? So there wasn't a choice. It's like saying you chose your child. Or that wouldn't be a fair analogy, but you—it's like saying you—you you chose your house you built, you built it so it's yours. How could you? How could Hashem say I chose you? You didn't choose us; you made us. And so we learn when I, when we when we say that Hashem chose us, we're not referring to our souls. We're referring to our bodies. The body of a Jew and a non-Jew is exactly the same. But Hashem says I've chosen your body. That means the human body of a Jew, Hashem says, I've chosen. Something special about it. But that goes back to this idea how there was full free choice within that choice that Hashem made. Um,
2: within the realm of free will, we also chose Hashem.
0: Unfortunately, we have an option to not choose Hashem, correct. We have an option to go ahead and, and say and, and call our, ourselves atheists, yeah.
3: So, Rabbi, when we, like, go on automatic for something, <coughs> we just do it, you know? Um, the light turns before we know it, we're in the middle of the intersection pressing the gas Yeah. Um, how is that explained by free choice? we have uh, buried our decision-making to our physical selves just to go on automatic, or what happens?
0: When we naturally have chosen a, a certain path, you're saying, is that free choice? Is that your question?
3: Yeah, when it becomes, when you say naturally, it's like on automatic. This is how we well always did it, we just do it. No thinking about no conscious choosing, I should right. say.
0: Right, right. I need to think more about that question. Yeah.
1: Yes? So, <clears throat> I'm not sure I agree that Free choice requires equal opposites. Okay. So in other words, I've played the opposite game with three-year-olds. And you ask them, what's the opposite of hot? And they'll say cold, tall, they'll say short. They ask them, what's the opposite of blue? There isn't really an opposite of a color. So another example would be the opposite of perfection. Is it faulted, imperfection? It doesn't necessarily mean that the opposite of holiness is the epitome of evil. I would argue that it's possible that the opposite of holiness is just not holiness. So that kind of addresses uh, Dr. Joe's question about degrees of, of, of good and evil. So like the opposite of good instead of evil is
0: just not good. Well, well we learned clearly, the answer to that is that we learn clearly zel Umaze Bar Hashem Hashem created good and bad opposite each other. This is terminology within the Torah terminology. So so I, I get your point, but this is something that we're taught clearly, that they that they are created one opposite the other.
2: So also, they're created opposite one another, but the Tanya will go on to say, if we haven't covered it already, that there's a sliding scale. It's not just simply one or the other.
0: Right, and I think Dr. Yosef mentioned that point, correct. There's a tremendous level within good, and there's tremendous levels within impurity and the opposite of good. And to quickly mention, the whole story of Pesach and Passover, we say that the Jewish people, we weren't stuck within impurity. We learned we were stuck within the lowest level of impurity. That's for a Pesach class, but yes, there are many levels, etc. So, going back to our conversation at hand, the, within impurity, Hashem is concealed. And there are levels within impurity that Hashem is so concealed that they look you in the eye and they say, I created myself. I created myself. Who said I created myself? Quote, Pharaoh Pharaoh said, let's continue on the second line of page 94, right column. On the contrary, not only does impurity not recognize Hashem, it surges upward like an eagle, saying, I am and there is nothing beside me. I am and there is nothing beside me. Or as the utterance, and this is what Paro said, he said, my river, what river was he referring to? The Nile. The Nile. He said, are Lee, the river is mine. Vani Asisani, and I have made myself. Paro was able to look motion in the eye and say, I made myself. So now that we recognize how crooked impurity is that it's it's life force is hashem but it's so concealed that it's able to tr- truly believe that it is its own fo- life force now we could now that is why the rabbis of blessed memory says that arrogance truly compares with idolatry idolatry serving an idol and feeling that you are a somebody mm-hmm. is the same. Now that's quite a brave statement. Gassus HaRuach an arrogant person is, is like an idol worshipper. Why? Because to serve idols means that Hashem didn't really create the world. And to be arrogant means that I am a somebody. Hashem didn't bring me here. I brought myself here. If we recognize that Hashem brings us where we are. So Moshe, the greatest of all people, was the most humble of all people. Why? Because he... How could Moshe, the greatest of all people, be the most humble of all people? Because he said, if anyone else would have been given my abilities, they would have they would have been greater than me. That was Moshe's perspective. He said, yes, I recognize within myself he wasn't running away from who he was. If you'd go and ask him, are you Moshe Rabbeinu? Are you the leader of the Jewish people? Are you the greatest of all? I would imagine he would would say yes. He's not going to lie. But did he feel that he was someone special? Did he feel that he was... He said, no, anyone with my talents, We'd be in the same position. On a personal note, I want to share with you. I'm not going to try and sing tonight. I'm a little under the weather. But, um, so sometimes I dive in for the yamut. Thank God I was blessed with the ability to do that. But sp- specifically in that area, it's one of the areas where I know that, where like, it's clear. There's certain talents we all, each one of us has. And we all recognize that those talents, we didn't do anything for them. God gave them to us. And when someone says, wow, such a beautiful job, there, you, you did nothing for that. If that person had your talent, they, could have, they may have done a much, a much greater job. It's a, simple, this, it's a very simple equation. So Moshe Rabbeinu said, yes, I am privileged to be this person. But if someone else would have my abilities, maybe they would have done even better. Taking that example of being a chassin. If someone comes and says, wow, you know, you did a really nice job davening, the truth is, if they had my ability, maybe they would have been able to use it and and train more and, and do an even greater job. So the moment we become arrogant and we say, wow, I have brought myself to this point, that is idol worship. That means you're removing God from the conversation.
2: It's idol worship. Let's see that inside. Every Jew is a cantor if he weren't (laughs) hoarse.
0: That is why the rabbi is a blessed memory. I see people looking for the page. Are there any questions? We're on page 94.
4: Mm
0: -hmm. And we are seven lines from the top. First word of the line. Uh, Baruch. Could we offer you a tanya? Okay. That is why the rabbis of blessed memory said that arrogance truly compares with idolatry. For the essence and root of idolatry is that it is regarded as a, a thing in itself. so s- Separated from the holiness of the omnipresent. It does not imply an outright denial of God. To serve idols does not mean you deny God. Anyone know how idol worship started? Where did it come from? What's the history of idol worship? Is
3: it animism? What would that mean? Um, seeing, well, seeing God in material things or animals and then calling that God and not recognizing Spirit.
0: So it started even more. It started even deeper than that. A grandson of Adam Harishon, the first man, born in the ninth millennia. Would that be correct? If he was born in the around the year nine hundred and thirty-five, he would be born in the ninth millennia. Is that no? He would be born at the end of the first millennia. Yeah, he was born at the end of the first millennia. He looked at the sun and he said, One second, one second. The sun is giving vegetation power. It's allowing vegetation to grow. The sun is giving us vitamin D. He said the sun is giving... The sun is a somebody. The moon is a somebody. Enosh said, the grandson of Adam, he said, I know that the sun and the moon... Are conduits of God but imagine this is the Rambam's terminology the Rambam says imagine you walk into the king's court and you start cursing everyone out aside for the king, all of his ministers are all standing there at attention and you're nobody, you're no good, you're no good but the king is a somebody well, well you're going to be right out if you're serving the king, if you want to show respect to the king you show respect to his ministers Enosh said how are we going to show respect to God by also showing respect to his ministers I know that the son is a servant of God let's show respect unfortunately it carried on where people slowly started, recogni- started believing that the sun is a God of its own but idolatry began saying that the sun and moon etc whatever they were serving is a conduit of God what was the, what's the mistake with that? The mistake is the sun is a nobody. The sun cannot give you any energy without, the, without God telling it to give you energy. The mi- People thought that Hashem gives. He says, you know what, sun? You have the power of light. Moon, you have the power of... And if you serve the sun, the sun will give you a little more light. It's like bribing the sun. You, know, you bribe certain people, they give you more. <laughs> but the mistake is here that the sun and the moon, there's no bribing. Hashem is, through them, going to give you exactly what you need. That's the history of idolatry. But idolatry is the moment something feels a little separated from God. But it does not, this is the catch here, you do not have to say God does not exist to be serving idols. How do we know this? Because the non-Jews, let's continue as it is stated in the Gemara, that the heathens call him the same people which are serving idols, they say, but we're serving idols, but don't worry, we also believe in the God of gods, in Hashem. But there's also some other gods along the way. Thus, only presuming themselves also to be entities and independent beings. To be serving an idol doesn't mean that you have to forget about Hashem. But thereby, the moment they separate themselves from the omnipresent, blessed is He, since they do not surrender themselves to Him, blessed be He, by not surrendering yourself to Hashem, you're separating from him. You're serving an idol. For the supernal holiness rests only on what is surrendered to Him, blessed be He, as is explained above. <coughs> To serve an idol. This is a big mistake. And we'll learn more about this in Tanya. People think if I just have a little cheeseburger, it's not such a big deal. A big one, maybe. Or there's no difference, Taisha. Idol worship, the idol worshippers themselves, they say God exists. But there's also some people that could help me out along the way. Being arrogant. Thinking that this was all my talents. This is all my ability. Even though you're not saying God doesn't exist. But in that aspect you are saying, I am a somebody. I am independent of Hashem. That's idol worship. That's why we give tzedakah. What's tzedakah? We say, when someone gives tzedakah, by the way, tomorrow we're gonna, there's going to be questions on tzedakah by the assembly, presented by our oldest girls. Don't tell them if I give you any answers now, <laughs> but when, when, when you give tzedakah, you haven't done anyone a favor aside for yourself. If you're rich and someone else is poor, so Hashem has allowed you to be rich, He's allowed Him to be poor. But that's part of his plan. Y- you haven't done anyone a favor, you've done what you need to do. Don't think, oh I got, I made all this money, I made the right decisions, and now I'm with somebody. Now, right? you know the expression, there's an expression that says, the person with the money, his opinion goes. And all of a sudden, someone has money and all of a sudden you're looking for his advice. He became the most brilliant person. Having money in reality, doesn't mean that it means Hashem blessed you with money and why, why did Hashem bless you with money? To use for what you need, but to share with others. Whatever Hashem gives us, Hashem has given it to us. If we don't recognize that, it's in a sense idolatry. And therefore, <coughs> klepa they are called in the Holy Zohar, peaks of, of separation. Klipa is called peaks of separation. Why? Because they're pointing high to the sky. They're feeling that they are are the highest mountain. I am the Mount Everest. I am the greatest. But I am the greatest to recognize at that moment you're separating from Hashem. But this constitutes a denial of his true unity where everything is as nothing compared with him and truly nullified before him. You are somebody. You're you're, you're nothing to Hashem. You, you, You are Hashem. Blessed be he. And before his will, which animates them all and constantly gives them existence out of nothing. Hashem is constantly giving you life. You're a somebody, you're a nobody. I'm a somebody, I'm a nobody. I'm, I'm just a piece of Hashem. But now I'm an everybody, because I am Hashem. Let me repeat the last line, a very important line. I'm a nobody, because to Hashem I'm a nobody. But I'm a somebody because I am a part of Hashem. I'm a part of everything. Let's repeat it one more time. I don't want you to, forget, to leave with this for the rest of your life. you're good. I'm a nobody because individually, I'm nothing to Hashem. But I'm a somebody because I am a part of Hashem. And being a part of Hashem is being a part of everything. Sandra, does that make sense? That last point? The,
3: the second half of your last point made sense, not the first
0: half. We're nobody, because when Hashem looks at us individually, we're, we're like nothing to Him. But we're somebody because we're a part of Hashem. Let, let's give you, let me give you an example. Your finger, your, your, your fingernail. It's a nobody relative to who you are. It's nothing. But it's everything because it's a part of you. Dr. Yosef, does that make sense? Yeah. I thought
3: we were supposed to think of ourselves as being um, special. Hold, hold that
0: thought for a minute. Hold that thought for a minute. When, when the Jews were in the desert, we know we complained a lot. You know, they say the Jews complain. <laughs> it's old business. Moshe called us a, a tough-necked nation, right? Amkeshayoref. And at one point, Hashem got very frustrated, and he gave the fo- and, and Rashi gives the following analogy. He says. Imagine, your father puts you on his shoulder. Anyone know where, anyone heard this analogy before? Mm -hmm. It's an amazing analogy. Imagine your father puts you on his shoulder and he's walking with you. He's protecting you every moment. And after a few years, you start forgetting where your father is because you just became so used to having, to sitting on his shoulders, You, you forgot he's there. So you know what your father's going to do? He's going to put you on the ground, let you get a little bitten, scream out. you like, Oh, oh Dad, you we're right here! And then he'll put you back on his shoulders. Sometimes we forget. We forget who we are. And that's what we're learning here. Hashem is our life for us. The second Hashem lets go of us, we're n- we never existed. It says if Hashem would remove His energy from within us, not that we would stop existing, I I can't explain to you what this means. But I can tell you the words. The words are, it's as if we we would have never existed. Our history would, would never exist. We are Hashem. So, for us to deny Hashem, we're denying ourselves. Like we're shooting ourselves in the foot. Let's summarize this. Put it together. It's a very special point, and then we'll try and touch upon Basha's question. In summary, there is a part of the world, uh, this boy I was learning with on yesterday, Sunday, at first he wanted to fight with me, in a good way, respectfully, and say, there can't be true evil. There can't be true impurity. And I said, no, no. There is real impurity in this world. Hashem has allowed it to happen. And we learned the analogy of throwing something behind your back there is real impurity. And within that real impurity, Hashem is locked up, so to say. He's locked himself up. And if we are going to attach ourselves to that, it's as if we're serving uh, serving idols. The moment we do anything against Hashem's will, we are, in a sense, serving idols. We are saying that, I am an independent and I could make my own decisions. My, four, my four-year-old is telling me he can make his own decisions. I ask him to do something, he says no. He's, a, he's an independent. Four years, full four years old, right? But as we started off, everything is Hashem. And so therefore, the first two commandments are a summary of the whole Torah. I am God, your God who took you out of Egypt. Belief in God, if you believe in God, And we recognize that everything is Hashem will do what He asks. Don't serve any other idols. The moment you do anything outside of God's will, you're in a sense serving idols. So the positive mitzvos are all sourced in the command, I am God, your God. I am everything and therefore do the positive commandments. Don't serve any other idols. Don't disconnect from me and therefore don't do any of the negative commands. And with this we've now answered the question we started off in chapter 20, which was, how could the first two commandments of idolatry be a summary of the whole Torah? But, and we're learning because believe in God, believe, believe that Hashem is everything, will push us to do the positive mitzvot. And idol worship, or separation from Hashem, is a command not to do any of the negative mitzvot, because any the moment we do any negative mitzvah, we are separating from Hashem. Uh, see, I put everyone to sleep. I was successful.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and any questions? <laughs> no questions. Please, Dr. Yostaf, I like questions. At least someone's listening. <laughs> well,
4: so getting back to the, the thing about free will. Yeah. Okay. So what bothers me is making free will an absolute value. Saying that is so important.
0: I'm listening, but I need to take something out while we're talking. Go ahead. Okay.
4: That, that, that free will is so important that everything else will, will just let, you know, be subservient to it. So, but but that's kind of um, uh, one could say, well, free will is important, but there are other things that are important too. And one thing that might be important is maybe the absolute the, the absence of, of absolute evil. I mean maybe that that's, that's a value that also is worthwhile. And so because that value is worthwhile, maybe it'd be good not to make free will an absolute. I mean I mean, Philosophers talk about different values, and if you make one an absolute value, uh, you, you could actually, you could say you're making it an idol almost, because, that's, because you're saying that, that's so important that, that all the other values that might come in conflict with it will, are not as important.
0: How many values does Judaism have? It's a tough question, but how many values? Uh, I'll, I'll give one one of the numerous answers. One answer will be thirteen. My the Maimonides that's codified thirteen principles of faith. Thirteen core values. One of the core values of Judaism. One of the thirteen core values is that there is free will. It's an extremely high, if you could make like a ladder. It is one of the 13 core values. Let's talk about the core values. Just believe in God. Fear Him. Love Him. <coughs> recognize that there's prophets. Recognize Moshe was the ultimate prophet. Free will. The Torah is from God, will never be changed. Mashiach. Resurrection of the dead. So, f- free choice is a foundation of the world. Um, I don't know, did that answer the question? I understood the question was, you're like, you were weighing how important is free choice. If that was the question I was just showing from this that free choice is is a founder of the world. But maybe I misunderstood the question.
2: State,
4: but it's convenient. be <laughs> you know, uh, it, it seems to me that that I mean okay that's okay the valley said it I mean it's you know it's longer 13 um, but But at what point do you say, well, yes, this is important, but is it so important that it outweighs absolutely everything else, including the prevention of suffering? I mean, is it that important that it outweighs, you know, the the uh, uh, different way of say organizing the universe or organizing the world, uh, maybe? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe there would be a universe with a little bit less suffering. Um, I mean, isn't that an important Jewish value? Uh, Got you, it. You think I,
0: I think you're asking, why do we need to suffer?
4: No, so not, why is there suffering? Is that what you're? No, saying? no, no I'm saying that that, that <clears throat> you're saying that, that free will is so important that there therefore we can only have free will if there's absolute good and absolute evil. Otherwise, we can't have free will. So, um, I mean, that's, that's what you said. Yes, yes. Uh,
3: so why does evil need to be prevalent in that, in, in the free will? Why does the pendulum
1: have to swing so far in both directions? Right? <laughs> well, I can't, people. Uh-huh. Um,
2: Maybe, that's good.
4: Yeah, I I don't think I can rephrase it any other way. But uh, but um, um, uh, well, let let me see if I can give another example. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. Well, let's let's say is health important? Yes, health is important. Therefore, is it uh, can you do or should you do absolutely anything in? for, for health. And I mean, most people would say, well, no. We shouldn't do absolutely anything for it. I mean, you should make you know, reasonable attempts to keep yourself in good health, but it doesn't justify you know, doing no matter what. The, I mean, I just, maybe. You
0: know, maybe, maybe I think... I, okay, let me see if I'm understanding. You're saying that why, why, does, why do we need real Evil in this world—is that the question? Well, why was why was it necessary for free choice? Why do we still need real evil, full evil? Is that is that the question?
4: Um, no, that's not quite the question. The, the question is um, this, this: Why does free choice outweigh almost everything else, or everything else? Why is it so important that it outweighs? everything else every other value
0: what is it outweighing
4: well um if if you limit say if there were limitation um if, if, if free choice wasn't an absolute then maybe maybe there'd be a little bit less free choice but there might be a little bit less suffering there'll be a trade-off why would that be a good trade-off
0: Be in a world like with less suffering and less evil, it would be nice if it was less. But that's yeah. what it is. I was there the Holocaust. Sure I, I, I give up a little free
4: that. for that. Well, we don't know. Uh, I, I would give up a little free choice for that.
1: Well, yeah, but you're not going to get oh. that. That's your idea. That's not yeah. Hashem's idea. Okay. So yeah, only you are the creator. The creator. No. <laughs> yeah. I'm that'd not be sure. that you have free choice. Is
3: what you're trying to say? Okay, but I do have a question about.
0: Well, let me let me make a few observations. I'm not sure we'll have the answer. But a few thoughts. Why did Hashem create a world? Big question. Why did Hashem create a world? And we're not gonna. That's not. We're not gonna go on for an hour about it. Or the few. I'm gonna give you the crux of the answer. Is Hashem created a world to have a dwelling place in the lowest of low? That was Hashem's desire something that does not make sense there's no logical reason why Hashem who is Hashem would want to have a dwelling place in the lowest of low but Hashem's desire was to have a dwelling place in the lowest of low in the darkest of all places in the in the darkest of all places without any that, that's it so For Hashem's desire to truly be fulfilled, that means that we're living in, as we call it, Olam Haze Hatachton, Olam Haze, this world. And within Olam Haze, within this world, we're living in the lowest level of it. So, part of Hashem's desire was that the lowest of low should exist in this world, and we should be able to challenge it and surpass it. In order for that to happen, this has to be the lowest of low. Lowest of low means where the darkest... the darkest corners exist.
1: Where is that from?
0: Oh, uh, th- this this quote specifically is from the Zohar. It's Sava Kadosh Baruch Hu. God had a desire to have for himself a dwelling place down here. It's, but to be honest, if anyone is feels the Zohar is esoteric, it's also quoted in the Medrash, the Midrash, which is uh, something that is at times more understandable for people. More. So that's thought number one. Thought number one is Hashem wants a dwelling place. It's, it's un, un, unexplainable, but his, his desire is to have a dwelling place in the lowest of all love. And that entails having the darkest of impurity here, and of surpassing it. That's thought, thought number one. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll sh- that's just a thought I wanted to share. But I, I hear your question. The question is, is a better question than the answer. And I like it. Because we should always Scream at Hashem And say Why are we suffering
4: I'm not suffering
0: Everybody's suffering Everybody's suffering It's nice to say You're not suffering I don't know I don't know your story But I know Hashem created a world That there's no perfect And there's no perfect good There's always Things that could be Better for us Thank you Dr. Yosef Yes uh, Sarah
3: Well It just seems like even though at one level I can understand that one of the principles of faith is freedom of choice, at another level it seems pretty artificial and that more fundamental is a moral compass. Otherwise, there's nothing to choose from.
0: Tell me again.
3: Uh, We need a sense of right and wrong. <clears throat>
0: Otherwise, there's nothing to choose from. And that's the Torah. The Torah is our guide.
3: Right, but that's our our uh, if, but you see people, I I think, giving artificial choices and not having any guide that we are into the idea of freedom of choice. New parents. And I see, you know, in stores and all sorts of things, it just seems like without the Torah, uh, freedom of choice is just artificial. Have, that just
0: pain and suffering or absolute good? There are seven laws of Noahide, seven laws for all of humanity. And we learn if someone will fulfill those seven, then they are doing the best thing possible in this world for a non Jew. So I, just, I guess I'm not clear exactly. I'm not clear exactly what the, what, where you're for heading.
3: For don't know. let me try to get an example. Somebody um, bringing a child along to rob a bank, for example, and putting <laughs> a kid in the car and talking about it in the car. just happened today. <laughs> oh, did it? Oh, you didn't hear that on the news? No. I was just that a woman, that. I heard it was just, I, I thought you we were doing it because a woman went oh, and robbed shit. a
1: bank where she left a six year old kid in the car and, got her, and she had a, a car waiting and they, they stopped her. It just happened. Just what you said. You heard that on the news. Mm-hmm. I did. Okay, I go ahead. Make up your story. Go on.
3: <laughs> well, so, without a moral compass, well, without the Torah and what Judaism has, has given to us in the world, it makes freedom of choice pretty artificial. That um, people then go in and bring their kids along.
0: Um, you're saying people don't know which choices to make if they don't have a compass? Is that what you're saying? Uh, I guess that's what And that is why, good, good point. And that is why one of the commandments for a Jew is to share with the world the seven Noahide laws. The Torah itself requires us to share with the world the seven Noahide laws. And I know I'll get a mouthful from David after the class about this. Maybe, maybe not. But anyways, this is one of our requirements.
3: Yeah, but why is it so hard to find them in the Torah? I, you know, especially because Noah's pretty present in my mind. Yeah. So where are they?
0: That, no, that, no, that's a fair question. Not for, not for right now. I could, I could share that with you privately. But there are seven ohide laws that Torah teaches us, and those are the moral compass for, for the world as large. And I, but I, I, I agree with your point. Basically, free choice is a tough conversation, and I recognize that. And there's a lot to learn about it. Um, but nonetheless, one of the foundations of the world is free choice. Hashem, that's. That was Hashem's system. I don't, I'm not here to... Um, Hashem has to stand up for himself, and he does. <laughs> Hashem, Hashem is prized. Makes only the best decisions. But Hashem created a world with, with free choice. Within the free choice, he created good and bad. And within the bad, Hashem has allowed us to connect with it, but we need to know that the moment we connect with bad, we're essentially connecting with idolatry. And we are going against the second command of the Torah. Do not survive and I know David has waited patiently.
2: First, there is a conundrum, and that is that Hashem exists with predestination and with free will. Side by side. And the second is that that system exists because Hashem says it exists. That would seem to be a tautology but an essential philosophical commitment of Hasidism is that it exists because every nanosecond of nanosecond of nanosecond infinitely Hashem says I will that the world exists and were he not to do that it would cease in a flash and therefore Because within that context and that conundrum we have free will and predestination, it allows us to function as his agent in worshiping him and in doing good. That would seem to be simplistic, doing good. But it's in capital letters. Here are my commandments. This is what you will do to adhere to my laws and acknowledge me. I also recognize as with the conundrum that the minute the second I give you free will I also give you the opportunity to choose it you know what you need to do get at it
0: thank you David and uh, with this'll wish everyone now have I a said
2: question. anything wrong mm-hmm. sounds good okay <laughs> I'm always afraid I'm gonna <laughs> spill over into it.
0: I wish everyone a good night and uh, thank you for being with us.